knows where we are tonight. It's not wrong. I was looking for... Matthew 13. We are in part two of Matthew 13 tonight. As you turn there, I'm going to read some of it in just a bit. We're looking at the parable of the sower tonight. Matthew 13 has the kingdom parables in it. Powerful stuff. How many... How many visit our church website on Facebook there? Three people, praise God. Go to the website. (laughs) Got a commercial on there for this, and we're trying to get it out. Share it with your friends. Share it with people who would be interested. But uh, we're going to do some video clips and commercials and stuff for our series just to get people aware of what's going on. And uh, we want people to be able to come and enjoy it, amen? So Matthew 13 Uh, We looked at the parable of the sower last time. I'm going to read verses 4 through 8, and then I'm going to read verses 18 through 23 and get Jesus' explanation. Jesus is going to talk about why he speaks in parables. We're going to get that to the chapter. He's going to talk about the fact that his disciples that followed him had, had the in with him, that he would explain the things that he cloaked in mystery for the multitudes. How many realize the multitudes don't get to see the pearls sometimes? The casual seeker doesn't get to see beyond the veil. But those who follow Jesus with their whole heart past the point of convenience, uh, they get to see, and the disciples did. So listen to Matthew 4 through 9, and then I'm going to read Jesus' explanation. And when he sowed, some of the seed fell by the wayside. Say wayside. And the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where there was not much earth. And forthwith they sprung up, but they had no deepness of earth, so no depth. And the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 18 gives Jesus' explanation of the parable This is what his disciples heard. Listen then to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word, the word of the kingdom, and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, what has been sown in the heart. This is the one sown seed by the wayside. The one sown with seed on the rocky places, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no firm root in himself but only a temporary. And when affliction or persecution occurs because of the word, immediately falls away. And the one sown with the seed among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, and the anxiety of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But the one sown with the seed in good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some hundred, some sixty, and some 30 times as much. So let's take a look at all of what's going on in here. Remember, last time when we were together, we said there's no seed shortage in heaven. Uh, Things might be tough sometimes in the natural when you don't have seeds, when you don't have rain, when you don't have fertilizer, kind of, if you're paying attention, our farmers are 
have it really difficult now. The price of fertilizer is like 400%, 500% what it used to be. And, uh, you know, there's crop shortages and there's crop failures and there's drought. Anybody paying attention to what's going on? And so, you know, this parable of the seed here, for a lot of people, this is fitting here. But there's no seed shortage in heaven. There's plenty of the gospel to go around. If there's any shortage at all, it's a labor shortage. Why? Because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And God's looking for laborers. There's, there's no shortage of seed. He's got all the seed we could ever need to sow it liberally. We talked about that last week. So we need some people to step up and to be disciples and to be those who will go out into the harvest and to sow the seed liberally. Remember this guy, when he sowed the seed, he threw it everywhere. He threw it on the rocks. He threw it on the wayside. He threw it in the air. He threw it at the birds. He threw it all over the place. You say, yeah, that's expensive. You're wasting seed. No, there's no seed shortage. There's a labor shortage. Maybe the reason he was so liberal with the way he sowed is because he had a lot of ground to cover and there wasn't much help. So we also remember that there's nothing wrong with the seed that we have. You know, many times people think we need to take the gospel and repackage it and reshape it and, 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 and use it in such a way or maybe water it down or mix it with something. Listen, the seed that we have, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is perfect. It works perfectly. It's the word of God. When we sow it, uh, just as it is, it will bring forth a harvest. The gospel is perfect. It's the good news. Sometimes I wonder how we can take the good news and turn it into something that's offensive. The special talent right there. Uh, but the gospel is perfect. It's the good news. It doesn't need to be updated. It doesn't need to be repackaged, reinvented, watered down, modified, fortified with 18 vitamins and minerals, or sugar-coated. It just needs to be preached, and it will produce fruit. It's not a seed problem. There may be a labor problem, but we're going to do our part. The seed problem is not there. We got plenty of it. What's the problem here? It's the seed bed. It's the soil that the seed is being sown into. Although it's perfect, it's going to get cast into some places that are not ideal for growth. So the seed bed that we're seeing here, the wayside and the thorns and all these things we're going to take a look at tonight, they are, the, they are the issue here. Why? Because seeds don't germinate and grow to maturity and yield a crop unless they're in good soil so they can germinate and sprout and grow. Amen? So it's a seed bed problem. And we're going to look at the first seed bed, and that's the wayside. This is where the seed lands. Now, the wayside, the problem with the wayside is it's unbroken ground. And if you've ever seen, passed by a farmer's field and you see that soil that's all broken up, and, and you smell the lovely smell of fertilizer, and you see the richness of the soil, you say, wow, that guy's got a nice piece of land. See, that didn't happen by accident. That, that soil has been built, and it's been, it's been broken, and it's been fertilized, and the, uh, the phosphorus levels and the pH levels and all of that, they work on that to make it fertile, and they don't plant the same thing in it every year. They rotate crops, and they put nitrogen back in. So there's a science to it. Now, if you get a piece of ground that's unbroken, none of that's happened. And you can't expect to grow too much there. Um, you know, we, we live on a piece of property. When we broke our ground, it was probably the first time it's ever been broken. I want to tell you something. Dover dirt makes some good stuff. We got so, many, so much vegetables flying out of the ground. I mean, the, two drops of rain come down, and our zucchinis are like baseball bats. So 
Not the wayside there, but the wayside here, unbroken, inhospitable soil, not ready to accept seed. The pH is wrong. It's not fertile. It's acidic. It's loaded with clay. It's got sand in it, all kinds of problems. It's the wayside. Now, unbroken things in our life, I want you to think of like a horse that's not broken. A horse that's not broken won't accept a saddle, and it won't accept a rider. An unbroken soil in our heart is the same thing. It won't accept the truth of God's word. It won't accept the gospel. It'll buck and it'll resist and refuse the things that the Holy Spirit tries to plant in an unbroken heart. We've got unbroken soil here. It's the wayside. In a very real sense, God does not use anyone until he can break them. Well, I don't want to be broken. I, want to, I just want to be saved. I don't like hot places. I just I want to go to hell, but I, I don't want to be broken. I don't want to submit to anybody. I don't want to submit to Jesus' lordship. I want to stay wild. Well, God will still love you, and you're still welcome at church, but listen, he's not going to pour his anointing out on that. God doesn't put his power into anyone that isn't broken because he doesn't empower anyone he can't control. Because people with anointing and no character are dangerous. Zeal without knowledge is dangerous. To be broken by the Lord is what allows us to be anointed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So this wayside soil is an issue here. It's inhospitable to the things of God. Now, Hosea 10, 12 talks about the fallow ground. If you read Isaiah 10, 12, Hosea, did I say Hosea or Isaiah? I'm getting my Isaiahs mixed up. So Hosea talks about the fallow ground and that the fallow ground needs to be broken up. And all of us have a part to play in breaking up the fallow ground. We got to seek the Lord and we've got to sow righteousness. That's what Hosea talks about. If you want to write that scripture down and spend some time meditating on it, we've got to seek the Lord and sow righteousness. That's what takes hard, you know, unbroken ground and makes it hospitable to the things of God. It's fallow ground. It's unbroken ground. It's a heart that's resistant to God, and it has to be broken. Matthew 21, 44 says this, the one who falls on this stone, and the stone that they're talking about is Jesus. Did you know Jesus was the rock of our salvation? Did you know he's the cornerstone? Amen. This, it says here in Matthew 21, 44, the one who falls on this stone, Jesus, will be broken to pieces, and whomever it falls on will be crushed by him. We have two choices, Pastor Mike. We can bow our knee to Jesus on this side of, of the cross and, and get saved and get right with God and be broken, or we can be smashed by Jesus in eternity when we refuse to bow the knee to him. Because listen to me, people who won't bow now are going to bow later. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess. I hear people say, oh, I don't believe in that Jesus stuff. And I'm not down with your Jesus stuff. I remember going in, uh, in uh, the, the city where we used to pass out sandwiches and do ministry. And I remember giving somebody uh, a sandwich and they go, I, I, I'll take your peanut butter, but I ain't down with Jesus. And I was a young Christian and I said, well, I'm taking my peanut butter back then. <laughs> God still had some work to do on me. <laughs> I said, this is Jesus' peanut butter. <laughs> uh, I'm rough around the edges. But will you be broken willingly or will you be broken unwillingly? 
We'll either allow God to break up our fallow ground willingly and say, God, I'm, I'm thick, I'm stubborn, I'm hard-headed, I'm resistant, I'm wild, I'm like an unbroken horse. God, break me, tame me, use me. Jesus gave his disciples the explanation of this story in verse 19. He says the parable to the multitudes, they're kind of scratching their head. They're not getting it all. He says, guys, in verse 19, this is, this is, the, this is what's happening here. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what's been sown in, their, sown in their heart. So because the person is unbroken, their mind is carnal, and the carnal mind resists the gospel. Do you see what a miracle it is that those of us that heard the gospel and received it immediately and, and, and got, had good ground and got saved and have walked with Jesus from that point forward? Do you see what a miracle that is? You're all miracles here tonight. It's just like, I mean, there's so many ways for that seed not to take root, not to germinate. But, you know, here he's saying that they, they don't understand because they're unbroken. So their minds are carnal. So they can't understand the word. They don't have any spiritual perception and they don't understand the gospel. Now, because there's no spiritual understanding available to that person, what does the enemy do? He immediately comes and snatches away the, the word. Why does he do that? Because, you know, if the word of God sits on us long enough, the Holy Spirit's going to open our eyes and explain it and show it to us. Yeah. E even with our carnal, twisted mind. The Holy Spirit's got a way of bringing us to repentance. The word has a way of accomplishing something in the hearts of men. So even though it's, it's hard ground, even though it's wayside, even though it's unbroken, if the word sits on it long enough, it'll break it. So the enemy comes quick and he snatches it. Maybe you share the gospel with your friends or you bring them to church and something turns them off or they don't like what they're hearing or they got some weird question about something in the, Levit the Levitical law and why did they use to stone children that were disobedient. People come up with all this stuff. It's still a good idea, right? Yeah. But I've had people say that to me and, 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 and they just resist the gospel. They don't want it. Unbroken. So we keep praying and we keep sowing and we keep throwing seed at it. So that's the one type of soil. The second is the stony places. Let me say this. We're, we're progressing here. We went from the, you know, this kind of like unbroken ground that was just, you, you know, it's the wayside. It, it has potential. It could be fertile, but it's not there yet. Now, it's much easier to work with a person who's unbroken. Why? Because God can break us. But it is really hard to work with a person who has purposely hardened their heart. And the stony places, you know, suggest a person who has purposely hardened their heart, soul, and mind towards the things of God. The person whose heart is as hard as a rock, whose mind is as thick as a brick, whose soul is cold as stone. Have you met people like that? Some of us were like that. But thank God he was patient with us, Amen. And even though there was a lot of stone in there, he labored, he labored to deal with that stone and bring in good soil so we can be saved. But listen, the person who, who is just unbroken is one thing, but the person who hardens their heart to the things of God, that, that's, a, that's a much difficult situation to deal with. When the gospel lands there, that's a rough environment for it to take root. Now, some people make a conscious decision to harden themselves towards God. 
They go through a trauma. They go through a, a situation in the church. Maybe someone religious abuses them or, or wounds them, and they close themselves off to God and harden their hearts as a defense mechanism. Now, they've chosen to not be honest with themselves at that point. They've chosen to ignore the existence of a loving God. They've chosen to reject his goodness and their desperate need for him, and it's a decision of the will. The will is a powerful thing. God created us in his image, made us to have free will. Now, uh, he's bigger than us and knows how to get us to the place where we need to be. So I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, our will's bigger than his will. But listen to me, that, that free will thing is, you know, it's a serious thing. There are people who are like, I don't want anything to do with God. That's it. I've closed myself off. I remember witnessing to a man one time and Somehow he got on the topic of God sending people to hell and there's fire there and all this stuff. And he's talking about it. I didn't even bring it up. And he said to me, look me straight in the eye. And he said, I'm going to burn. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, I, I don't care if even you could prove that God was real to me. I don't want anything to do with your God. If, if your God is the God in the Bible, I don't want anything to do with him. I'd rather burn. Wow. And you know what? I still pray for this guy. I'm still believing he'll be saved. I'm still believing he'll be in church someday. Amen. But he said his will. And I don't know why or how, but I discerned that something had happened to him along the way. But he totally closed himself off to God to the point where he said, I'd rather burn than admit that I was wrong. Wow. In the natural realm, seeds need soil to grow. The less soil that's available, the less likely there is to be growth. Consider a mountain. When you look at a mountain that goes up and up and up and the altitude's high, you're going to be in the valley. There's going to be big trees. It's going to be lush. Then you're going to have trees partway up the mountain, but then there's less soil. So then you're just going to have bushes and shrubs, and then you're going to just have grass, and then there's just moss, and you know what's at the top? Rock. Why? Because there's no soil up there. And when the rain erodes it down, the soil doesn't migrate back up. So understand that principle of the mountain right there. You know, the less soil available, the less growth you're going to see. You, you know, some people's lives are, are so eroded that their life in their heart is just jagged peaks. There's no soil. So there's not much for the gospel to take root in. How should we pray for ourselves and for others if our hearts become rock hard? And, and let's not any of us kid ourselves. Life circumstances can hit us so hard at times, our hearts can get hard. I've known preachers that have been through some such trauma with churches and people. You know, churches and people can be, be hard. I know preachers who've been through stuff, prayed for the sick, and, you know, and they prayed for the sick, and God healed the sick. They prayed for their own children, and they died. And I remember one preacher saying, I'll never pray for the sick again. I, I love God. I serve God. I'll preach, but I'm never preaching anything about healing again. <sighs> Wounded, hard, hard as a rock. What do we do when our hearts get in that condition that, that they're, they're hard? Well, rocks can be broken up. Rock can be chipped away. Rock can be blasted apart. You know, you, you fly down the highway and you see those, those uh, walls of rock next to you. What, what do you think that just popped out of the ground next to the road? They blasted right through that. If you look at it closely, now don't do this when you're driving, but you'll see, you'll see lines cut in. Those were lines that were drilled in where they put dynamite in there and blew that stuff up. Some of you are like, I'm going to look at it. I don't care. I'm gonna... But the, rock can be removed. 
It can be chipped away. It can, on my own house, when we were building the house, we were right next to a mountain. It's literally at the foot of our house. I had to spend three days on an excavator with a 10-ton hammer chipping rock just to get our breakfast nook in. If you ever come up our driveway, our driveway was a four-wheeler trail when we started. I spent a day on that chipping ledge out of the driveway. It was solid rock. So rock is tough, and it's an obstacle, but it can be removed. So when we see people that got these hard, rocky hearts where there's no soil, where the gospel can't take root, we need to pray that God comes and does the work and chips away the rock, amen, and and trucks in some good soil. You say, well, how long does that take? Hey, it doesn't happen fast, but it's worth it in the end. Jesus gives the explanation to the stony places in verse 20 and 21. The one sown with seed in the rocky places, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. This is interesting. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but it's only temporary. And when affliction or persecution occurs uh, because of the word, immediately he falls away. So notice there's no soil there, but they still somehow comprehend the goodness of the gospel and they're immediately excited. Have you seen people like that? It, it, you know, you, you share something, yeah, that's awesome. Now, we get really excited because that's the response we hope for. Sometimes, you know, after a while, we discern there's no depth in there. But, but understand, that's the initial response. Purely reflexive, purely emotional, and usually doesn't last long. God doesn't save us through emotions. God doesn't save us through reflexes. He saves us with a deep spirit-to-spirit connection that makes us born again. So the stony heart and the stony places might get excited about the gospel. They kind of get it, but it's reflexive and it's emotional. And then what? It has no root. Why is there no root? Because there's no soil. And if you've ever seen, you know, plants or things trying to grow on the rocks, it's kind of hilarious what the roots do. You know, there might be a little moss, a little dirt, a plant there, and then you'll see the roots kind of spidering out, looking for something to connect to, to get nutrients from but there's nothing there. So they have no root, and because of that, there's no depth of commitment beyond the initial excitement. And then what happens? As soon as they're offended, what does that mean? The the, the gospel is going to cost us something. When we come to Jesus, now we're out of step with the world. Now our our circle might reject us, and our family might reject us, and and, and people might not want to hear what we got to say, and they might be aggravated with our enthusiasm, and all of a sudden you're like, hey, I didn't sign up for this. No depth, no root, no good soil. So they get offended and they walk away from Jesus. Now, all of us have seen people do this. Maybe we even did this a couple times before the Holy Spirit busted the rock up out of our heart. We needed to take another lap around the mountain. We needed life to beat us up a little more, amen? And, And thank God for that. He never quits. But don't quit on a person who gets excited, who comes in, who gets offended and goes out as quick as they came. Don't say, well, I guess that's it. Stony people. No, keep praying. Keep praying. God can change your heart. The marital relationship is a good example of of what this takes, uh, you know, to stay in the place where, you know, you can have your heart changed marriages that last are not built on excitement and whims and, you know, reflex. They're built on deep commitment, 
realistic expectations and a refusal to even entertain divorce. That's what makes marriages last. People get married and they're, they got prenups and they got agreements and they got deal breakers. They're sitting with lawyers instead of pastors. That, that marriage is doomed, you know? That's not the way it works. It should, that shouldn't even be entertained. And when we come to Jesus and when we find the pearl of greatest price and we're excited about it, we've got we've to decide in our hearts right now, this is it. I'm done. I'm, I, I found what I'm looking for, amen? So marriages that have a deep commitment also have realistic expectations. You know, when we come to Christ, we've got to have realistic expectations. Well, I didn't think I was going to suffer. I thought, you know, this was just going to be a party, and we were just going to wind up in heaven, and there was going to be a feast, and people were going to wait on me and bring me steak. Yeah, we're headed for the marriage supper of the Lamb. But on the way there, there's a lot of stripping. There's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of persecution. There's a lot of suffering. We identify with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. I don't know about you, but when you die, it's usually not fun. And if you get buried, you know, that's not fun either. We want the resurrection, but we got to have the death and burial. So understand realistic expectations. People, Kim and I, when we do premarital counseling, we deal with marriage expectations. Why? Because some people got this storybook idea of what marriage is. And they're going to be back in for counseling real quick. So realistic expectations. Yeah, we, we might suffer. We might have hardship. We might be rejected by the world. But you know what? We found the pearl of greatest price. And so we're willing to suffer all those things to have Jesus. And let's talk about the seed sown among thorns. Some fell among the thorns and sprung up and it choked them. So every farmer knows that thorns and weeds grow faster than fruits and vegetables. If you have a garden, you know that the, 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 the poor little tomatoes are coming up and the weeds are kind of looming over them. And, and you got to do things to deal with the weeds. Now, why is it that weeds grow so fast? We have weeds in our yard and in our garden. I can almost watch them grow. There's certain plants, Pastor Mike, they just sumac. Sumac will grow. Two drops of rain, phew, it'll shoot up a foot. It's incredible. It's a worthless, stinking, you know, menace, and, and yet the vegetables, they take their time. So, you know, we got to understand the good fruit takes time to grow. Weeds just grow. And you know what? None of us can outrun our weeds in life. None of us can outrun our, well, I'm just going to, you know, I hope that they won't grow. I hope I outgrow them. I hope that I don't get any. No. Uh, notice something important about the thorns. It says they just sprung up. Did you hear that? They sprung up. They did, you know, they didn't plant thorns. They, they, they didn't put their, their, you know, their good fruit in a place where, you know, they knew thorns were. No, the thorns just sprung up. And do you ever feel like that, that you're constantly dealing with things that just spring up? Everything's going good. Everything's fine. You feel blessed. The sun's shining. The birds are tweeting. And all of a sudden, something springs up. And what are they? They're thorns. And you say, Pastor, why does that always happen? And here's the reason that it happens a lot of times, because we haven't got to the root of our thorns and dealt with them decisively. We got to get to the root of things, amen? And anytime when I'm pulling weeds, you know, there's some weeds that have really heavy roots, and I'm around the pool or something, and I'm pulling the weed, and, and the, the, the thing breaks off, and all the roots stay in the ground. And Tony, I'm like, I'm going to be here again. I'm going to be bending over in this spot again because that thing's coming back. 
when you deal with root weeds, you've got to get the roots. And some of us are constantly dealing with the same issues over and over again, and they spring up at the most inopportune times because we haven't dealt with the root issues of our heart. If you pull a weed and you don't get the root, it will grow back quickly. Weeds need to be identified and dealt with decisively. They need to be sprayed, pulled up, removed, and destroyed. Get all of the root, get rid of the weed. If you got things springing up, get alone with the Lord and get alone before him and allow the Holy Spirit to show you what the root is. It could be unforgiveness. It could be bitterness. It could be an, an issue you had with someone in your past that you haven't let go of. And it's kept a root of bitterness in you and things spring up and they're thorns and they're thistles and they're worthless, but they choke out the good things in your life. Now, Jesus's explanation for the seed sown in the thorns gives them more insight to what it's like to have your soul stuck in the thorns. Listen to verse 22 here. It says, yet in 21, he has no firm root in himself, but it's only temporary. And when affliction and persecution occurs, because of the word, immediately falls away. And the one sown with the seed among thorns, this is the one who hears the word and the cares or the anxieties of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So see that? The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches. Um, these are the things that spring up in our hearts that we haven't dealt with. And you know what? It, it says here, notice the person received the seed among the thorns. Did you hear that? So the implication is there were already thorns there when the seed came, Pastor Mike. So they received the seed among the thorns. So they, they got some thorns. What does that mean? They had issues before they got the gospel. Anybody have issues before you got saved? Yeah, me, I'm raising every appendage I can. We got issues, right? So the seed was sown, the gospel was sown among the thorns. It was already there. That's what they call in the medical field a pre-existing condition. And the insurance company doesn't want to, they don't want to hear about that. That's for somebody else. No. So we all got these pre-existing conditions in our life. We got issues, and then the gospel's sown in there. Now, I say all this to say, I say all that to say this. Let's deal with our baggage. Let's deal with our baggage. We we got we got the word going forth here. We got an altar that we can spend time at. We got prayer closets we could go into. We got celebrate recovery that we could go to. There's all kinds of opportunities to deal with our baggage. If you come into church every week dragging the same bags, why, why are you doing that? We're overcomers. We're more than conquerors. We're not supposed to be dealing with the same issues 20, 30, 40, 50 years later. Let's deal with our baggage. You see, when we deal with our baggage, all of a sudden, the thorns disappear and things don't spring up anymore. And we can go from mountaintop to mountaintop of faith and we can live in the blessing of God. We can enter his rest and that's what he wants for us. So we've got to deal with our baggage. We've got to deal with our pre-existing issues. The seed was sown among thorns. So we had it before the gospel came and it's up to us to bring it to Jesus and let him deal with it. If we don't, it's going to choke out the God in our lives. Now, think about the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus with all kinds of issues with his wealth and his luxury and his comfort. 
You know, it's just like here, the, the, the deceitfulness of riches, Jesus is talking about. Well, the rich young ruler had all of that baggage himself. He was rich. He had a lot of stuff. He had power. He had authority. He had lands and homes and all of these things. And he was unwilling to release those things in order to obtain Christ. So he said, in essence, I'd rather have all my thorns and my thistles and my weeds than to let go of all that and grab a hold of Jesus. Help us, Lord. The baubles and the trinkets of this world that we sell ourselves out to. The treasure chests of trash that we collect that we think are so important. When you know what? They're worthless. They're weeds. They're garbage. Paul says, I count them as dung. You don't have to do a word study on the word dung. Let's deal with our baggage. Let's deal with our issues. Let's throw away the things that uh, choke us and entangle us in this world and sell ourselves out 100% to Christ. Look what it says here. He that receives the seed among thorns and hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. Ah, and it becomes unfruitful. Finally, the last type of soil, the moment we've been waiting for, good ground. This, <laughs> this is the kind all of us think we have, only good ground. You know, the truth is, before I, before I unwrap this point here, uh, there's times in all of our lives where we have all different kinds of soil in our hearts, even when we're saved. Well, I'm saved, I'm sold out to Jesus, I'm born again, my name's in the Lamb's book of life, I'm going to heaven when I die, amen. You know what? And sometimes the things of the world that try to choke your joy. Sometimes we allow thorns to grow. Sometimes we get hard and, and there's things in us that are still unbroken. So while the good ground is obviously in all of us because we're saved, we still have to deal sometimes with other dirt. <laughs> so finally, the moment we've been waiting for, good ground. The evidence of good ground in our lives is genuine spiritual growth and exponential fruit production. And that's what that good ground is. But some fell on good ground. Look what happened. And it brought forth. So there's growth. There's spiritual growth. There's fruit production. It brought forth fruit, some 100-fold, 60-fold, and 30-fold. He who has an ear, let him hear. So the good ground and the proof that there's good ground in our hearts is what? That we come to Christ and we stay with him, that we walk with him, that we grow up in the Lord and reach maturity. Amen. And then when we reach maturity, when, it, when a fruit tree is mature, it will produce fruit. And listen, it, it produces exponential fruit, amen? If you have like a peach tree that every year made one peach, you need to bring that back to Adams. It's not supposed to make one peach, right? It's supposed to, you know, an apple tree, and it makes one apple. No, it's exponential. It's 100, full, 100 apples, 60 apples, 30 apples. But it, And understand, that's what God wants to do with our lives. Now, in our own strength and our own ability, we probably couldn't produce one apple. But when we give ourselves to Jesus and follow the purposes of God in our lives and allow the Holy Spirit to move in us, we produce exponential fruits. 100-fold, 60-fold, 30-fold. Man, I'll take any one of those. Jesus gives 
the explanation here, but he that receives seed in good ground is the one who hears the word and understands it. Why, why would they understand it? Because they've released the carnality of their heart and allowed the Holy Spirit to just strip away all the fallow ground, and, and now there's a heart that's tender that has become good soil. Now, this isn't, this isn't our doing, well, you know, I was one of the special ones, and I, I was just work, walking around and always had good dirt in me, and no, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. Salvation's a free gift of grace, amen. Uh, repentance is even a gift. We don't purpose to repent. Our flesh would never agree to that. The Holy Spirit gives us the gift of repentance. So it's all God, but it's a sign that there's good, there's good soil in our hearts that the gospel could take hold of, that we're willing uh, to do what the, the, the rich young ruler was unwilling to do, that we're willing to let go. And be like Paul and say, you know, I had all this and all this honor and all this notoriety and I had zeal and I was a Pharisee and I kept the law and I was perfect and I stuttered under, under Gamaliel and I, I was a premier theologian with a brilliant mind. And you know what? It's all dung to me that I might obtain Christ. Good soil, amen. But he received the seed in good soil and he hears the word and he understands it. Thank you, Jesus, for opening up our eyes so that we could see and understand truth. What a blessing. Which also bears food and brings it 160 and 30. So there's the exponential growth that comes. What does it come? It comes on the other side of believing and understanding the truth. And the gospel seed takes its root in our souls. And it, 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 it finds good soil and it germinates and it, it grows and it comes to maturity and it produces fruit. Huh. Pastor Mike and I love peaches. I'm a peach tree in the spirit. Some of you are figs. No. The fact that we're here indicates that there's some good ground in us. There's some good soil in our lives. There's good soil in our hearts to be found, and that's a place where we need to give all the glory to God. But the other soil conditions, as I said before, and I'll close with this, they can creep in. So please guard your heart. I've seen people walk with the Lord for decades and then all of a sudden uh, just, you know, get thorns and thistles and anger and unforgiveness and it grows up and chokes out the grace and all of a sudden, you know, they're going back into the world. So guard your heart and mind the soil of your heart and pray continually that uh, every time you hear the word that the Holy Spirit would plow up that fallow ground and, and allow there to be good soil for the, the word to go forth and find a place in your heart. So as we're working here through Matthew 13, we, we look at the parable of the sower, and forever we need to be praying that God would produce good soil in those that we are praying to be saved and, and in our own lives. Uh, let's bow our heads tonight and thank God for the word. Father, we thank you tonight, Lord God, for this parable. We thank you, Jesus, that you took the time to explain it to your disciples, and we are your disciples. We are your followers tonight. So, Holy Spirit, I trust that you have revealed the depth of these principles to us. Now, ground them in the good soil of our heart and never let us forget these things. That, Father, when we witness and we share and we, we, uh, we shine our light to others, we would constantly be sensitive to the type of soil we're dealing with. 
so that we can pray for the person who's unbroken. We can pray for the person who's rock hard. We can pray for that person who's got thorns and the cares of the world and a love for money, Lord. Give us wisdom to discern the type of dirt we're dealing with so that we can pray with accuracy and see you do incredible things in the lives of people because you love people and we love people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give him praise tonight. Bless you, Lord.